0: morning, everybody. Let's pray together, shall we? Father God, we do come into this place together today, and we desire for you to speak to us. Lord, continue to draw near to your people, we ask. We ask that your scriptures would penetrate our hearts and our minds, that we would be those who are humble before you. You are a great and mighty God, and worthy of our worship, and worthy of our praise and worthy of a faithful following. And so we ask for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, everybody. It is wonderful to be with you today. If you're visiting with us today, my name is Nick. I'm the senior pastor here at Old North. And today, we are going to talk about the sanctity of human life. You know, one of the fascinating things about having children is when children look like their parents. I mean, you go and you're one of your friends or maybe one of your children has a child, and almost the first question that somebody asks is, well, who does he look like? I mean, I, I see a little bit of mom over here, but maybe that's the nose of dad. And well, wait a minute, is that, do I see a little bit of grandpa in there? And when you think about it, and as kids continue to grow, they change, go figure, over times and seasons, and what one might look like mom at one season of life might eventually end up looking like dad, or vice versa. And we marvel at this. We delight in the fact that children resemble their parents in many ways. They bear their image. They are image bearers. Well, today is Sanctity of Life Sunday. This is the Sunday where Christians yearly celebrate, in the context of worship together, the values of God in human life. We celebrate this particularly in reference to the issue of abortion. Uh, this is the Sunday that is nearest to the anniversary of the historic court ruling of Roe v. Wade. And we recognize this Sunday together. We talk about it together because the issue of abortion is, I firmly believe, the defining moral issue of our society for the last 40-plus years. Now, you need to know that, as a church, we do not preach politics, nor do we endorse political candidates or specific positions. But there are some issues that are moral issues long before they ever became political issues. And so when God addresses such moral issues, we address moral issues like this as well. And so today, we celebrate life. There are many reasons why we celebrate life, and there are many reasons why we oppose abortion. But today, we spend just a couple of minutes together exploring one of those reasons. And the reason is this. You are made in the image of God of God. From the very beginning we see what it glimpses of what it means for humans to be image bearers. If you have a Bible, you can turn with me. I'm going to flip through a couple of different passages today. We'll have them all up on the screen if you might have trouble keeping up. But Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. This is the very beginning in creation. God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the livestock, over all of the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Now, the key words from the very beginning in this passage are image and likeness. Both of these words in the original Hebrew Refer to something that is similar in nature, but not exactly equal. So, how do we bear God's image? How exactly we bear His image is unclear. It's a little bit mysterious. Scholars have debated this for some centuries now. Some have said, well, the way that we bear God's image is because we have a conscience. We can feel or sense the difference between right and wrong. Others point to the idea of moral purity before the fall of mankind and sin. And still others think that we bear God's image as we exercise dominion over the earth and over the creatures of the earth. How exactly we bear God's image is mysterious. Maybe it's one or two or all three of those things and, and even more. But the point is this, to be an image bearer means that humans are like God, and they represent God in certain ways. There are a lot of different passages in the Bible we could point to for this. Genesis chapter 5, verse 3, we see the idea of image And likeness, that's brought about again. It says in Genesis 5, when Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness, after his own image, and they named him Seth. Likeness and representation is something that happens at childbirth. This is why we wonder, we marvel, we have great joy when A child looks like his mother or his father. This is why it's so neat when we look at their facial expressions, when we hear their verbal intonations, when we see that they have mannerisms like their parents. Children aren't just mimicking us. They're actually like us. This is how they were made by God himself. And so in the ways, this is a key point, in the ways that kids represent their parents, we have a glimpse into how humans represent God. Each and every one of you represent, you are made in the likeness of God himself. And at a first glance, that might not seem like that big of a deal to you. But when you really pause to think about it, this becomes one of the defining characteristics of your existence. And it's absolutely mind blowing. So, if all humans are made in God's likeness and His image, one of the questions that certainly pertinent to us today is, are the unborn also made in his image? Well, we can look at this issue biblically, we can look at it practically, and we can look at it medically. We'll spend just a couple moments on each. But scripturally, look at Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5 with me. This is what it says. It says, before I formed you, God is speaking, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Psalm 139, we had a responsive reading a couple moments ago based on this psalm. It continues For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. So clearly we have some poetic language here. But even in the midst of poetry, one thing is very clear. The Bible ascribes personhood to the unborn. And God is referred to as the one not only who knows us before we come into existence but is actively involved in creating us. All the little parts and pieces that make you, you, and me, me. God is the one who is in the middle of it. Practically speaking, we know that babies in utero are people. From the feeling that we have when babies move, to considering the reality of life with us, to that mysterious pregnancy glow (laughs) that women get. Fewer and fewer people are questioning this reality. In fact, you know, this is an interesting point for you. Statistics are showing that the millennial generation is the generation now that is turning away from the pro-abortion mindset of their parents and just... Based on sort of logic and common sense and intuitive feelings, saying, No, that's actually real life inside of me. How could we possibly abort that? Medically, the advance of technology has shown us so much more about babies, and it is absolutely Amazing. Did you know that just in the last couple of years, another medical breakthrough occurred in which scientists and doctors can now know a number of genetic disorders that a baby in utero could have and the baby's gender by just 10 weeks after conception? And what's even more amazing about this, now to give you a frame of reference about that is Historically, over the last number of years anyway, you wait to find out the gender through an ultrasound at 18 weeks, so almost double that time, and they do a number of visual points of analysis at that time. But now, just 10 weeks, we can know all kinds of things about our children, all by taking a little prick of blood from the mom. Genetic mapping is telling us more and more about these unborn people. And they're showing us that they really are little people. In the medical community, more and more abortion clinics close every year. And this is happening at an increasingly accelerated rate. It is estimated that since 2009, approximately 30% of our nation's abortion clinics have closed. A third of those have either closed or significantly changed their practices in just the last 12 months. There's a lot of different reasons for this. But one of the significant reasons is that more medical professionals are unwilling to take part in abortion procedures. Even among secular progressive New England folk, where we most recently came from, it is becoming increasingly difficult to find a place that would even perform these procedures at all. Furthermore, through the advance in medical technology, not only can we know the stages of fetal development, but we can actually see them. On the screen behind me, you see the difference in ultrasound technology in just the last handful of years. When Amy and I had our first child, who is going to turn four in just a couple of weeks, we saw a 2D ultrasound image. They offered three-dimensional ultrasound images at that time, but the price was exorbitant. So we said, nope, two-definition is fine. By the time we had our second child, Noel, who is now two and a half, we could see 3D and even 4D ultrasound images. And now, you can have high-definition images of babies in utero. And by the time we had our third child, Karsten, who was just nine months, we had a 10-week blood test for Amy to figure out what his gender was and to see and to hear that genetically he was okay. The pictures and pictures... Are, the pictures are clearer, excuse me, than they've ever been before. We know what is going on inside of there. And if you're here today and you're pregnant, here's something that's really cool for you. If you want to know where you're at or where your baby is at in his or her development, you can download an app for your iPhone. And it will tell you, hey, this week your baby grew toes. Next week, this is happening, and the week after that, most likely, this is going to happen. It's amazing the technology and what's showing us. But the point of all of that is to say this: that science is verifying what the what the Bible has told us all along—that babies in the womb are real people. They're intricate. They're complex. And they are image-bearers of God himself. Image-bearers reflect a variety of aspects of their creator. But perhaps the most profound is that people reflect the aspects of God's glorious nature. Pictures of God's glorious nature are shown throughout the Bible. We sing about them regularly in song. We can read about them in scripture. When we stop to ponder what it means that God the Father is indeed full of glory, it takes us back. And when we do and we realize that some of that glory is bestowed upon us, it changes how we look at the value of human life. Some of these images of God's glory, of his majesty, of his radiance are overwhelming. Others are practical in nature. I mean, who can forget the fact that Moses' face shone with radiance after coming down from Mount Sinai where he met God? Or Isaiah's reaction of feeling wholly and utterly wrecked as he saw a vision of God the Father on his throne and he throw himself on the ground and says, Woe is me! Woe is me! I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Or the Roman centurion in Mark chapter 15. Upon seeing the dark skies and hearing the thunder and feeling the earthquake the moment that Jesus died had the veil over his heart lifted and was finally able to proclaim surely this man was the son of God or the image of God In Revelation chapter 4, sitting on his throne with four seraphim surrounding him and 24 elders laying prostrate on the ground, worshiping him in glory and saying, Worthy are you, Lord God, to receive honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And we would be remiss... If we didn't notice, particularly in this passage of Revelation 4, that his creation and the creatures of it are reasons that are given as to why God receives glory. You, me, and even the unborn children that God has created are created because of his glory. They're created for his glory. And they are created to reflect his glory. So how does God use people to represent him? How do you bear his image? There are a number of different explanations, but Tom Wright gives a helpful description, and rather than recounting it for you, I thought we'd play just a short video clip to further uh, elaborate on our understanding of this.
1: picture I often use to help people understand what Genesis means by the image of God and indeed what um, Paul means by the image of God because he uses that as well, um, is the image of an angled mirror. We often think of an image as being a mirror. Here's a mirror, I'm looking at it, I'm seeing it myself. But supposing we have an angled mirror, I remember when I was a small boy um, being ill in bed and uh, Uh, my mother lined up a mirror in the doorway of my room so that through that mirror I could see her and other family members coming and going in the hallway outside my room so that I didn't feel so isolated and alone. And the point about the angled mirror is that you can see in both directions and uh, it seems to me that God has put humans like an angled mirror in his world so that God can reflect his love and care and stewardship of the world through humans and so that the rest of the world can praise the Creator through humans. And the way this comes out in many biblical passages is to see God's people, you get this in Exodus 19, you get it in the book of Revelation, you get it actually in Paul as well, see God's people as uh, the royal priesthood priesthood because they are summing up the praises of creation, presenting it before God. So when, when humans praise God, they ought to realize that they are doing so as the representatives of the whole world, reflecting the rest of the world to God. But when humans are looking after creation and bringing God's healing restorative justice to creation in all sorts of different ways, there they are reflecting God into the world. So that the image of God is not, I think, something about us, our memory, or our conscience, or our imagination, or our spirituality, or our reason. or Theologians have tried all that, as though there was something about us which is exactly like God. No doubt a lot of that is true, but I think it's a much more creative, much more uh, dynamic picture. Um, that the priests and the kings, or kings and queens, uh, reflecting God to the world and the world to God. And I see the, the human vocation, the Christian vocation as being to recover, to recapture that image. Paul talks in Colossians about being renewed in knowledge according to the image of the Creator. And it seems to me if we actually looked at our own vocation vis-à-vis the world like that, all sorts of things about how we treat the world, how we act responsibly within it, would uh, appear in quite a different light which could be very healthy.
0: So if God is glorified because of his creation, and if his creation and those who he has created reflect his glory, we certainly must ask the question, what happens when God's glory is marred or distorted? From the very beginning, image bearers distorted the glory of God through taking the lives of other image bearers. Genesis chapter 4, we see that the first children of the world, Cain and Abel, existed, and Cain killed Abel. And as such, he killed one who bears God's image. And in doing so, God's image in his own life was also distorted And down through the ages, we see different manifestations of God's image being distorted. This is the chief problem that sin presents for us. When we sin, we distort the image of our holy, loving, just, heavenly Father. It's sort of like when you take your kids to a children's museum and you take them, instead of to an angled mirror like he used in his description a moment ago, you take them to one of the funny mirrors. The ones that make you look short and stout or tall and skinny. The ones that make you look funny or make you look ugly. It's a picture of what sin does in distorting who God is. Now, One of the contemporary ways that we continue to do this, of course, is in the issue or in the action of abortion. Unborn babies bearing the image of God, bearing the image of their creator. And when they are killed, we kill image bearers and we also distort the image of God in us. Along with all other types of sin. Now, society, we've outlawed almost every form of killing other humans except this one. As a culture, we have a systematic distortion. And that's why I said a moment ago that this is the defining moral issue of our time. Thankfully, God provides a way for his glory to be shown and his image to be restored. And this is the good news of the gospel. This is what we celebrate week in and week out. And this is another way for you to appreciate God's work in the gospel. The Bible talks about when people don't know Jesus. 2 Corinthians Chapter 3, particularly, the Apostle Paul is talking about the veil that is over the hearts of men and women as they hear the law. They're not putting their faith in Jesus. And the Bible would intimate that anyone who doesn't know Jesus as their Savior is spiritually blind. Or to use another term, they have a veil over their heart. But the good news, 2 Corinthians chapter 3.16 says, when one turns to the Lord... The veil is removed. Now the Lord is spirit, Paul writes, and where there's spirit of the Lord, there's freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. From this come, this comes from the Lord, who is spirit. And so you are made in the image of God. When you sin, you mar or distort God's image. But when Jesus comes into your life to forgive you of your sins, this image is being restored. Your image is moving from one form of glory to another, a more complete form. And this happens throughout the course of your life as he continues to grow you and shape you and mold you. So the good news is this is if you've sinned in any way against God, you can be forgiven. And you need to know that God wants to restore his image and all of its splendor in you. Even if you have taken the life of another person through having an abortion. Statistically, I know that in a church the size of ours, a number of us have at some point in life had an abortion. I cannot pretend to know the circumstances of your life at that point if that was you. I cannot pretend to feel the way that you feel about it today. I've known a number of people over the years that have had abortions, people very close to me. And all of them cope with this in different types of ways. But I will say this, that the shame and the guilt and the hurt that they carry for many years after that decision is one that every single one of them wishes that they could have release from. And I'm here to tell you today that you can have it. Through Jesus, guilt can be removed. Hurt can be healed. What has been distorted can be brought back to glory once again. This is the good news of the gospel. And if you're here today and you have had an abortion or a girlfriend or a spouse of yours, men, have had an abortion, and you carry with you the wounds of that, don't suffer in silence. We have plenty of help and studies, uh, whether that's through the Pregnancy Help Center or the church, to process these decisions with people on the front end, in the middle, and after the fact, even 15, 20, 30 years after the fact. God wants to do that work in you. You know children are a wonderful thing. That wasn't my thought at 3:45 this morning when mine got out of bed. But they are a wonderful thing. And our response as Christians is to celebrate life and to contend for life, to protect the innocent, to continue to show God's restorative mercy and grace and justice to those in the world. Children are a wonderful thing. And as I close this morning, let me play a recording of a poem for you that is devoted specifically to children.
2: hear the children crying. I can hear them every day, crying, sighing, dying, flying somewhere safe where they can play, somewhere safe from all the dangers, somewhere safe from crack and AIDS, safe from lust and lurking strangers, safe from war and bombing raids somewhere safe from malnutrition, safe from daddy's damning voice, safe from mommy's cool ambition, safe from deadly goddess' choice. Do you hear the children crying? I can hear them every day, crying, sighing, dying, flying somewhere safe where they can play. Do you see the children meeting? I can see them in the sky, meeting, seating, eating, greeting Jesus with the answer, why? Why the milk no longer nourished? Why the water made them sick? Why the crops no longer flourished? Why the belly got so thick? Why they never knew the reason friends had vanished out of sight? Why some suffered for a season, others never saw the light? Do you see the children meeting? I can see them in the sky, meeting, seating, eating, greeting Jesus with the answer, why? Do you hear the children singing? I can hear them high above singing, springing, ringing, bringing glory to the God of love, glory for the gift of living, glory for the end of pain, glory for the gift of giving, glory for eternal gain, glory from the ones forsaken, glory from the lost and lone, glory when the infants waken, orphans on the Father's throne. Do you hear the children singing? I can hear them high above, singing, springing, ringing, bringing glory to the God of love. Do you see the children coming? I can see them on the clouds. Coming, strumming, drumming, humming songs with heaven's happy crowds. Songs with lots of happy clapping. Songs that set the heart on fire. Songs that make your foot start tapping. Songs that make a merry choir. Songs so loud the mountains tremble. Songs so pure the canyons ring. When the children all assemble, millions, millions round the King. Do you see the children coming? I can see them on the clouds, coming, strumming, drumming, humming songs with heaven's happy crowds. Do you see the children waiting? I can see them all aglow, waiting, 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 waiting. Who of us will rise and go? Will we turn and fly to meet them? Will we venture something new? I intend to rise and greet them. Come and go with me, would you?